This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Tyler, we always say this, but... This is such a special occasion. And when this happens. So what you're saying is we don't always mean it. That's what you're saying. You say you say we say it, but we not always mean it. We mean it in different ways. And this (laughs) way, especially poignant, heartfelt, emotional, fun, all of that. Well, we have joining us today um, a very, very special crossover episode with our friends, Mm -hmm. our sisters, Truth's Table. We're here to talk about their book, Truth's Table. Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation. So today joining us, we have Akemini Uwan and the good doctor, Christina Edmondson. How y'all doing? Fantastic. I'm so glad to be here with y'all. It's been years, actually. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Well it's, overdue. It's, 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 been, it's been COVID years, but you're like dog years. Listen, so yes, it's been a long time. That's the facts. Like, so. That's nothing but the facts. <laughs> And I think what I mean by special on this one is we often get to talk to other believers, other colleagues and associates, but to have all of that on top of being able to talk to close, close friends, that is truly a blessing. Mm -hmm. Thank y'all for being on with us. Yes, yes. It's it's an honor. So I just, I I love y'all to pieces. I really do feel like y'all my play cousins. And so... um, So I love you and I'm even defensive about y'all. I'm like, you know, put some respect on their name. So we, we appreciate um, it. We so appreciate thank, it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yes. Well, before we continue on, I do want to acknowledge that the book Truth's Table is written by the original trio. That is, of course, Akimini, Dr. C and Michelle Higgins as well. So Michelle was not able to join us. So I just want to acknowledge her. Um, yeah. Shout out to Michelle. Really excited Absolutely. about her contributions to this book as well. But with you all, I want to hop right into this uh, reality, because whenever you talk about a book and whenever you talk about a work, even a podcast, it's a labor. And there's a labor that's attached to that while at the same time you're simultaneously living, loving, trying to survive in a world that is antagonistic to your body, your soul, your mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you all talk a little bit about that? Because I don't want people to think that books just pop out. That books just come out without an extensive labor, without extensive work. Mm -hmm. So can you all talk about what this book has cost you? Mm. You feel that that deep Negro spiritual sigh rising (laughs) up. I was like, like, go ahead, Kimmy, you go go ahead and set it off. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a true labor. You know, uh, I'm not even going to lie. It's a labor of love. It's a labor. Um, you know, I happen to be a writer that doesn't love writing. <laughs> so, and I'm not afraid to admit that. Okay. And so, right. uh, cause it's just, it's hard for me to do. 
I I know I'm, I'm a gifted writer. I know it is a gift that I have, and um, and people love my writing. But it it is hard to do. So I have to get in the right frame of mind for me to even be able to sit down and to be able to write an op-ed. Much more, how much more? <laughs> a book, a 300 plus page book. Obviously that I didn't write by myself, but four chapters, woo, that's a whole lot. Um, so there were, there were, there's a lot of sacrifices. There's things that I had to say no to. Um, money that I had to say hmm. no to as a single black woman doing hmm. public work, that's a cost. That's yes. a real cost. Um, and then on top of that, um, my living situation is such that I'm also a caretaker. And so I can't just sit down and write. <laughs> like there has to wow. be circumstances set up for me to be able to do that. Um, and thank God, um, my mother would happen to be in town when it was time for me to write. And so she was able to take over a lot of the um uh, caretaking duties that I wow. usually have to do in order for me to write. If she wasn't, she didn't come, I wouldn't have been able to write the book. Um, and we just didn't have the usual length of time. I think most writers get to write their book. We, we wrote <laughs> our, truthfully, we wrote our book in about two months, like yeah. real talk. Um, so we were, I was, I was like, we was right under duress. <laughs> so I said, yeah. That's, wow. That for me is direct. So I'm like, wait a minute. That's a lot because I'm not a fast writer. And so, um, but what was helpful is Christina and Michelle were just like, just, just write. Stream of consciousness, just write, which is hard for me to do because I edit as I write and I critique. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, uh. Um, but that was helpful for me because mm-hmm. helpful advice that I could apply and get it done. And I'm proud of what's on there because I did. So in a sense, it is a labor of love because I put my mm-hmm. heart into those chapters. Yes. I feel like I put a yes. little too much in there. So I'm a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it's very just evident. enough. This just enough. <laughs> Authentic, vulnerable, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we we have so many projects going on. I know on an individual level, I rarely speak publicly about um how many projects I have happening mm-hmm. at one time or how mm-hmm. many relational or family responsibilities I have. So um so I, I mean, I don't, I don't like, I don't think busyness is holy, but mm. you know, by any means, there's nothing you know holy about being busy. Um, so I, I tend not to try to run down like my rap sheet of all that I've got going on. But I think anybody who has close enough proximity to me would know she busy. She she's got a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of people of, of great value to me um, that that are pulling and not always pulling, but I'm just I'm tied to, and so. Um, Whenever I do a project that's going to be as extensive as this, I know that it is um, that it, that is costly, and I and I'm a person who thinks that that time is more important than money. Now, once you get your basic needs met, <laughs> you got to eat. Um, right. That that there's really nothing more precious than your time. I don't like my time wasted. I like to be able to give it mm. give it to people to give it over. Um, and so yeah, when I when we make the you know when we set the goal of committing time to something, I'm really saying that. Um, I'm I'm committing a lot of what I really value to something. It's time away from people who I love and I care yes. for. It's time away from different opportunities. Um, so, so yeah, we we had to take the time to carve out to to make this happen. And then also on a personal note, you know, I wrote I, I joke about it often with people, but I I wrote uh, a number of projects this year, and I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm trained as a listener. Um, and so, mm. I mean, I've had to write probably in about four different ways throughout my professional career. So one creatively, one in terms of like clinical notes. So brevity, be ready to read in court. Um, I'm trained to write from a research article standpoint. Right. So I, so so being able to sit down and be like, I got to write in a way 
um, that complements and connects um, uh, with um, my dear sisters um, and that communicates a voice out to the broader community that we're trying to connect with. That That's a bit of a challenge. And I also did that mm-hmm. while having long-term COVID symptoms. <laughs> so, wow. um, so, so what it means to like write when you know that you're in a physical fog. So it just, it's been a couple of years of just being like, okay, but the, the blessing, even in the toxicity of that is that it makes me really no nonsense. So, so what, so what you see on that paper is like, this, this is what I want to say right now. Pure, uh, yeah. so you're not, you're not going to, it's very pure. And, uh, cause I just did, I didn't have the intellectual stamina, um, to, to do anything else besides just give you something honest. What y'all are really bringing out is the fully embodiedness of writing in general and, and writing a book. Like this is a mind, body, spirit thing you're bringing out family responsibilities and obligations, physical health, spiritual and emotional, all of that. And I I think that's really important for folks to know that not only does do books just pop out quickly, well, (laughs) months, yes, deadlines are inspiration sometimes, (laughs) Um, but they don't pop out easily either. And I think another unique feature of the book, but potentially an added challenge is the fact that there's not one, there's not two, but there's three different authors. And what what is a triumph, I think, of this book is that you were able to take your podcast, Truth's Table, and put it on the page and Mm -hmm. put it into a written word. And it Mm -hmm. feels still like Truth's Table, even without hearing your voice. Authentically, yes. How on earth did you (laughs) manage to have three voices, one book, you know, (laughs) and, and, and maintain that tone? I mean, what was the process like in terms of, you know, did y'all struggle and argue or did it just, (laughs) did you have an outside person putting it um, together and editing? How how did the three author book come about? I want to hear Kimini's story, but I'll just throw this out quickly and just say, so we don't, we don't, um, every once in a while, Jamar, we will get a question from people about, you know, how do we get along? (laughs) You didn't ask that directly, but (laughs) I think, I feel like that's in there. And so we we definitely we're very we're three very different people and uh we definitely have things that we see that we see differently or we experience differently but we are not um I wouldn't you know we we don't we're not like beefing like we don't have <laughs> like we don't have <laughs> like that's not really kind of how we work the things out and I know that may that probably um that certainly you know stands in the face of a lot of stereotypes about women who have projects together um so we just mm. we have a lot of res- a lot of respect for each other I think as um as intellectuals, as creatives, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call yourself. Right. Yeah. I think we just, I think, and it's, and it's our own kind of intrinsic dignity. You know, I just, I, I love, I love these people. I love Akimini. I love Michelle. I can say that sincerely and truly. Yeah. Um, and so it's, so, so they, I get a kick out of them. I mean, they're, even if we disagree, I, I'm still like, this is just wild, you know? And so, yeah. so, so, they, so I think, I think we enjoy each other in that sense. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I, I, yeah. So I just want to throw that out there to say that it's it's a gift to be able to partner with people who you delight in, who you know, who you really know, like you know their backstory. Like you don't just know like their Twitter feed. Like you really know them as people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a gift to be able to come around the table and to work on a project and to model that for other people um, to be able to do that. Yeah. Um... I would say definitely ditto uh, to that. Yeah. I mean, there's no way we could do this book um, as a trio if we didn't have mutual love and respect 
for one another and even where we where we differ, which I think in this book, you'll see our differences much more than you even hear it on the podcast. I think I, okay, so this book required me to write in a way that I don't normally write. So I can be a little bit much more, more technical, uh, much more, I know it's analytical, it's in there, but it's just, I can be a little bit more formal, more technical with my writing, kind of depending on the venue. Um, and so in this one, I really had to speak like, no, like I had to envision like, uh, like I was at a black women's conference mm-hmm. yeah. and I'm just talking to my sisters, like, or, or literally we're sitting at the table with my sisters. So you hear me talking about like, no, what is we going to do? Like, <laughs> no, like for real, what was, what we, we going to do? We got problems. <laughs> I'm pulling lyrics because that's how I talk anyway. I talk a song lyrics. And so, <laughs> so, and so I really had to go, okay, no, like speak how you normally speak. And that's not to say my other writing for like WAPO and Atlantic is not me. It is me. It's just in a different format. It's a different audience, right? It's a different audience. And so I was like, okay, I got to write to the black woman at the table. Like, you know what I mean? And I got right. to meet And so that's, that was one element, I think, where you're seeing the voice of the podcast come through because that's how I talk on the show. It's how I'm writing in the book, if you will. Then I would also, I got to give a shout out to Ashley Hong. Absolutely. Uh, at, uh, hey, Ashley. Hey, Ashley. <laughs> yes. We love you. We miss you, girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, she, you know, it was, it was actually her, I think her idea was the interludes. Am I tripping or? You know, or- I, 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 well, you know, I don't fully recall, but I, I that sounds very, that sounds Ashley like. So let's go for it. Let's give her credit. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah let's give her some the credit there on, I think, the interludes in the book, yeah. right? So the transition, it's almost yeah. like we're going to commercial break. Oh, 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 no, we're going to the next segment, y'all. Like the book is yeah. an experience. Um, it is an experience. It's meant to be heard that. Mm-hmm. That's why, I'm, that's why y'all really do need to pre order, but you need to get the audio yes. because we're going to be reading our book. And so it really <laughs> is. Praise God. An experience um, for the for the listener. And so so it was her input, her editorial input. And y'all, we were literally editing this book live in a Zoom together with our editor. Our editor was a person. We're reading line by line. And I'd be like, stop. Whoa, 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 that that, that is what I mean. Now, that's that's my preferred way of of writing anyway is uh, and and for individually. But certainly if we're going to do it as a as a community for it to be live action writing. And that's old school. I mean, like generations ago, that is kind of what an editorial process would look like. And and actually, I remember mentioning that offhand to us kind of like facetiously. And I was like, oh, no, no we going to do that. <laughs> like, that's what we're going oh, to do. Set up the Zoom. Like six <laughs> no, no, no. hours long? <laughs> we were going to go to New York to do it, but, you know. Yeah, it, it was it's, it's several several hours combined. And, and and part of it was so important because I would get to hear, like, Michelle walk through, read out loud what she is working through. We would get to hear, she would get to hear me, and, and we would get to hear Kimini, et cetera. And real time, we could have a little bit of interaction and exchange about some of those ideas. Like, how how is this hitting you? And so, we, so yeah. in that sense, we couldn't recreate... Um, the real-time response that we have on the podcast, but know that our voices are even present, uh, kind of provoking and illuminating even through yeah. our single single chapters. Yeah. 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 I, there is so much that I want to unpack and, and, and talk about in this book. We will not be able to get to all the chapters, but I want to highlight a few portions that I think really encompass and embody the spirit of the book in two particular ways. I think number one, how it's just so rooted in its audience, rooted in loving black women and the whole of black women. They're great. But then I think 
<laughs> number, listen. They're lovable. Number, hey. The, the thing I loved about that, though, is really what leads me into number two, which is the agility of topics and tones like that you're able to talk, touch on is brilliant. And, mm-hmm. and I want to I wanna highlight um, Kimini's chapter, The Audacious Perseverance of Colorism, which in and of itself mm-hmm. is um, a tremendous oh. chapter title. Yes. Yeah. Which is, let's just say henceforth now and forever, what I'm going to recommend um, to any person mm-hmm. who needs to hear about colorism or asking questions about it. Because I was just overwhelmed yeah. and blown away by how you tackled something so heavy, but also I know so personal for you. Yeah. Um, and something that we talk about all the time as well off mic. And you did it across so many. And I just kept thinking, I kept thinking the whole time, I can't wait till the women within my church get a, get their hands on this. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't wait till they're able to read this. Yeah. Um, you said it's a spiritual stronghold, but also a sociological issue with structural implications. And the way in which you approach this chapter, I think is the quintessential way in which truth's, truth's table mm-hmm. exists mm-hmm. and how you deliver content. Can you talk about the process of, of unpacking this, not just sociologically, but theologically? Because what Truth Stable does so well is you take the truth of scripture mm-hmm. and then you bring it into culture. And I think you encompass and embody that so well. So talk about that process of bringing those in with song lyrics, with statistics, with theology and merging it. This is truly systematic. <laughs> you know, This is the systematic theology manifesto, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about bringing all of that together. Yeah, it's systematic with an S-I-S-T-A. <laughs> yes, exactly. And people don't know. That's what I was referring okay. to. Yes. But you know, yeah, that's honestly, that's how I think. Um, and so I don't, uh, I don't, I think sometimes there's a, at least let me just speak for Western Christianity. There just seems to be a tendency to want to compartmentalize our faith. And maybe that's not just mm-hmm. central to, you know, uh, uh, Western Christianity, but I think, uh, you know, we're embodied souls. Um, you know, and we live with the impact, you know, on this side, if we believe, if we really believe that the fall occurred in Genesis three, then we do live with the consequences and the impact, um, of that fall. Uh, even, even though Jesus came and broke the curse, even though Jesus, the second Adam came and got redemption for us, we are still yet, you know, um, living with the implications of, being in a broken and fallen world. Um, but yet we're also embodied souls, right? Um, and so and so seeing the ways that colorism stratifies, you know, and um, marginalizes mm-hmm. um, people. I mean, that's, I, there's no way I could write that chapter without bringing in the theological implication of what happened in the fall, right? In Genesis three and how that's actually where stratification began. Um, um, sinful, you know, stratification. Well, I, t- I have a whole nother you know, framework for this that I, that's in the book too, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I ain't trying to give y'all everything. But- <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You got to pick up the book. But, 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 um, so, so I don't, that's just the way I think. And so I, and I also want to have my, um, thinking informed by d- different disciplines, particularly as a public theologian, that's my job is to interact with dis- different disciplines and make sense 
you know, of the issues, the concerns, the things that our people are grappling with. That's my job is to make it accessible, to put it together. So I'm supposed to do the hard work of reading the the statistics. I'm supposed to do the hard work of reading the uh, sociology and making it accessible and understanding it myself so that I can translate it. I got it. You can't translate anything if you don't understand it. Um, And so that's kind of the theological, sociological um, component. Um, And then, of course, the spiritual You know, uh, I had to also wrestle with internal questions about what was I going through? Like, what was I thinking? I had to really go back into the recesses of my, I'd say my mind and my spirit to go back into who uh, Akemini was when she was 15, you know, and when she was 20 and, you know, 25, you know, um, and 29, let's be real. Like, you know, like I had to go back. Um, And so it took a lot of prayer. I don't want to. I do not want to undermine that. There, there was a lot of prayer. It was a lot of spiritual warfare. It was hard. It was hard. That book, that chapter was not accessible to me. That was not the first chapter I wrote. That was not. That oh. was, it took, because I was like, uh-uh, too much trauma. I was like, let me, let me try to go. Not that the other stuff ain't traumatizing. Singleness, that's a traumatizing chapter too. But, you know, <laughs> but, but I just couldn't access it. When I sat down to write, I thought, I'm going to write about colorism. And that was not the, that was the one I struggled with. To write about. I think I even said that I think in the first paragraph I mentioned that uh I struggled, you know, to enter yep. into this one. So so yeah, that's that's how I think. And you you get a snapshot into my brain. <laughs> we are honored and blessed to have Hey folks, Jamar Tisby here, and I am so grateful for your support, your listening, your engagement with the Pass the Mic podcast. I'm wondering if this podcast has been helpful to you, challenging, encouraging, if you would consider becoming a paid subscriber to the podcast for as little as $1 an episode. You can help keep this good work going. Just visit patreon.com slash pass the mic. That's patreon.com slash pass the mic. We appreciate you for your support. Dr. Christina, you you bring a similar kind of approach, um, particular field in counseling psych Mm -hmm. that comes through so good. Even when you hear Dr. Christina like talk or give presentations, it's so so emotionally a a whiplash because she'll be talking about some phenomenon or something happening, and you'll be like, yeah. They need to get it right. And then she'll say one more sentence. You're like, oh, she's talking about me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, goodness. Um, We're all invited to the party. <laughs> well, and before, before you can, but see, before you, before you continue, Jay, I just want to ask Dr. C, when are we getting the Christina standard version of the Bible? <laughs> coming out? I, I need that. Okay. Cause you mentioned it in passing. I need yeah. that. Okay. I, I'm always remixing. I'm always remixing. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jay. <laughs> Um, so, so you write a chapter on forgiveness, mm-hmm. which is really interesting uh, <laughs> for, is, for a whole bunch of reasons. Right. And, and you bring again, your, your, your counseling background into it again, a lot, you're reading, you're reading, reading, thinking, you think about so, talking about somebody else. And then you're like, Oh, we need to apologize. We need to forgive. Mm-hmm. And I love the way you integrated. You said, um, 
you know, somebody had had angry black woman to you, which mm-hmm. is we know a trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you bring in the the sociology, the the psychology of it all, and it's by men of social privilege as a means of control. I just I'm just curious about the way you write a chapter like forgiveness and the mm-hmm. way you are honest and vulnerable about your own experience, but you're breaking it down into like, this is what's happening on, on sort of like a macro human level. These are the relational dynamics that are going mm-hmm. on. So, I mean, um, I mean, just like everyone, black women are sinners, but we um, we are so frequently sinned against. Mm-hmm. And I think when um, when that is your reality, you have to figure out um, how to be honest and to be healthy in the midst of that. Mm. So, I mean, even as I was framing that chapter out, I was like, you know, I could, I could rattle off a long list and potentially a long, embarrassing list. You know, I got, I got receipts of (laughs) the Lord puts me in these places with people where I can like see them, you know, in technicolor names that if I said you would be like, Oh, uh, you know, so I, I mean, I, so I was like, I don't want an expose. Right. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want a, um, I don't want a narrative, um, where I'm using the page in order to, um, get back. Right. So I, I want it to be very yeah. tender. Yeah. I want mm-hmm. it to be, be very tender and very, uh, as generous as I could be, um, in writing that chapter so that, cause you because there's a lot of ways, particularly, you know, religious folk that we can, we can take a, something that's like a mel- a well-meaning title or theme and we can make it about us yeah. or we can, can an underhanded way, make it a way in which to, to like talk bad about somebody else. Right. So I, so I really had to do a lot of work of, of wow. being, being honest with, with each paragraph to say like, can I write this, um, and not be a hypocrite? can I write this paragraph and not be a hypocrite? So for which, so with, so with each paragraph, I'm trying to do my own internal work of acknowledging the debts that I believe people owe me um, uh, because they've wronged me in some way or me as an individual, but me in terms of who I represent, they've wronged black women, right? Um, They've wronged women, except whatever it might be individually or sociologically. And can I write um, in a way that also makes me have to be aware of the ways in which I've wronged other people intentionally or unintentionally. Um, and then, and then, and then ultimately to think about practically what unforgiveness costs us, you know, um, mm-hmm. why it's not just like, um, I mean, there are some people who are abusive, who use the, use the notion of forgiveness in abusive ways. Right. Absolutely. So let me harm you individually or sociologically. And, um, and then you have to forgive me because remember, you're, you're going to be a good Christian. Right. And so that kind of abusive perversion of forgiveness. But I really wanted to just process through it, what it means for um, when we are set free from trying to collect moral debts that people owe us and that we're not living. I, talk, I use this example of, you know, for those of us who've had the experience of working at a, you know, a hotline where you're, um, you're a bill collector, <laughs> you know, and you get people hang up the phone on you. They cuss you out. They blame you for the debt that they got, you know, whatever it is. Right. And I, and I think that is what it's like when you have your whole suitcase full of debts that people legitimately owe you. Um, but you're living as a, a debt collector. You're, you're, you're demanding mm. other people, you're demanding other people 
uh, pay a debt that they, you know, it may not even be their debt to pay you, right? It's just kind of the way of living. And so ultimately, I just want to talk about what it means to live as a forgiving person, like the embodiment of that. So anyway, I tried to put that on paper and hopefully people catch it. Are you, and and one one more follow-up in this particular, um, before I move back to Kimini, are, are you concerned about because it's very telling that you decided to put this in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that's unintentional. Mm-hmm. And typically when truth table addresses something, it's because they see a pattern. Mm-hmm. Are you concerned about the pattern of unforgiveness, particularly within the black Christian context and community? So I, so I'm concerned about the use of you need to forgive as a form of spiritual manipulation and abuse. <laughs> so, so let me start with that. <laughs> I'm really concerned about that. Um, but, but I am also um, concerned with, I think, um, not enough wrestling about mm. what, what forgiveness offers us that the enemy is trying to steal from us. Mm. Um, and so forgiveness is still ultimately a gift to us and it's still a calling from God. And so I still, I, I'm still convinced that um, what God has for me and wants for me and is calling me to is, is in my ultimate good, even though I know that that topic and theme of forgiveness is used so frequently in manipulative ways. Um, and, and that the pursuit of justice is on the agenda of forgiveness it, those things are not, those things are not in war. They're my, my, my. not in competition. As a matter of fact, I would make the case that um, when, when we are able to um, forgive, we tend to pursue people, maybe not in a literal relationship, but maybe in our minds and in our prayer life, we, we pursue them, we pursue their good, which could look like restoration, which could look like mm. them apologizing, which could look like them repairing the breach, right? So um, those those things, I don't think have to be enemies. I think we can be justice seekers and and truly be forgiving of the the moral debt, which ultimately, ultimately belongs to God. And not only does um, that belong to God, but even revenge Scripture gives us this picture of, you know, vengeance belongs to the Lord. And for those of us who've been really, really hurt, you've been hurt real good. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, you've been hurt real good. Um, that actually is comforting. And I think there are times when we look at, we skip over parts of the Psalms, we skip over things. You know, I was just listening to the Psalms this morning um, about, you know, enemies just, you know, basically being shattered. And people were like, oh my gosh, that seems so harsh. And I'm like, oh, you haven't sat across from people who are recounting stories of, of being chased by their stepfather around the house and, and assaulted. You, you have not heard these stories. You've not lived these stories. You've not lived this pain. And then you will see how it is loving and holy and just for God and God alone to yeah. exact revenge. So, so, so I don't talk about, I think, forgiveness my, my, my. is like we just dismiss it. That 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 God has us. God has us. Yeah. That is so. Thank you. That is so helpful. Um, yes. Such a powerful word. Uh, Akimini, you mentioned you may mention of it early earlier, and uh, we can't not talk about this chapter hidden in plain sight. 
um, a single black woman's manifesto. Um, We cannot not talk about this. Um, And everything that you say is extremely uh, poignant and potent across a number of topics. But this in particular um, was a moving chapter. I want to read one particular uh, paragraph that I think is appropriate for us to draw attention to um, because it relates to faith spaces and church spaces. You said to the black church that I love, we must see this for the structural injustice that it is. But first it must eschew the gaslighting it too often directs towards single black women with or without children in quotation marks. You just need to be content. You just need to trust God more. You can't live as a girlfriend and expect to be a wife. Meeting a structural issue with trite pot shots aimed at single black women who are persevering despite forces out of their control is cruel. Mm. Um, wow. And yeah. <laughs> trite pot mm-hmm. shots. Uh, beyond just the personal nature of this chapter, I think you are drawing a very important spotlight. You're, you're shining a spotlight onto church practice and not just church practice in the way in which we teach and, and disciple in a micro context, but the macro messages that we often hear from the church, which drives book sales, <laughs> products, YouTube videos, Whole sound career. bites, and entire careers. Mm-hmm. Um, can you address just how harmful this is? And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I've just, I've seen as a pastor, so many people adopting messages and ideas and while I understand that the desire to speak on relationships and relational health is a very good and healthy thing, I've seen that we have imbibed certain messages and we just regurgitate them without thinking and we don't realize how harmful it is and we don't realize the longstanding effects of it. Can you talk about that? Yeah, uh, yeah this, cha- this chapter right here, it's the longest chapter in the book, um, you know, and honestly, I, I did let the chopper spray. I, I actually just did. I didn't actually think it was going to be the longest shot. I thought the editor was going to cut stuff. That's not what happened. I was like, oh, snap. It's okay. <laughs> this one, you're going to keep everything. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, those messages, I just, I think part of why those messages come forward in this is part of the argument that I make in the book is that the Black church has just been caught unawares. <laughs> like, I think quite mm-hmm. literally, I don't think, I think this issue has escaped us, um, which is why I really appreciated um, uh, uh, Diane M. Stewart's book. It was almost, it's pretty much the, the, the war on black, uh, black marriage. And I can't remember the exact mm-hmm. type, type, title, black love, black marriage, um, or something like that. I'm so sorry, but because her stuff was very foundational to that that book could just help. It's like, intuitively, I knew these things were happening. And it's like, when I got to see, right. I was like, okay, I'm not tripping. Like, you know, because as a single black woman uh, who loves the black church and who got saved in the black church, you can feel like you're just perpetually being gaslighted. Let's just call it what it is, you know, um, because when you say just be content, when you stop looking, oh, he will appear like that's just not that's just not true. Like, you know, now I know God is able to um, definitely to do to work beyond his systems and. But God has not yet chosen to do that. <laughs> and he may do that for some. He hasn't done it for all. And so what do we do with that? And I think that when we when we resort to 
um, or rest on uh, um, these, you know, these trite, you know, platitudes um, that we think are harmless. We are doing actually great harm to, to people, particularly the singles who have been single for a long time. You know, who got some years in this game, um, some skin in this game. And so and I think that those uh, those trite platitudes, they really arrest the imagination because it's like you cannot Mm. think beyond uh, what you've come to understand you know, as, or what God has given us for the covenant of marriage. Yes. Like that. Yes. Of course, at least for me as a single black woman who is attracted to men, I desire that. Uh, But what do you do if, if that's not something that God has yet given or may not give to you, where is our imagination to think about how we can support uh, black women um, who are, uh, who find themselves in the same predicament? Um, and I think as long as we continue to say, be content, keep trusting the Lord, use all your time while you're singles, you know, while you're single, you know, you got all this time on your hands. No, we don't. But, <laughs> you know, uh, I think we we just, we, right. the, the church will never be able to think uh, in imaginative and in restorative ways that can really help to support Black women who are the ones that actually hold down the church. Without the Black women, you do not have the Black church. Listen. (laughs) And so I think it's really important. So that's why I do have some, I do have interventions in there because it is easy just to diagnose, you know, but I was like, we try to put in some interventions in here. So I tried to provide that as well, you know, so not just diagnosing, but also providing some interventions. And even in the next paragraph though, um, you do mention how much you love the black church. Like even in that next, it's a follow-up. Like I love the black church. So I think, you know, I've just seen it as one of the major unaddressed issues within our black church context that we do not talk about relationships in a healthy way. And let's be Um, honest. Let's be honest. I think in some ways, sometimes let's just say, I think sometimes, um, Leaders, you know, in church will you know that they can use black women and use us up. Not all, but I, I think they know that, you know what I'm saying? And so they yes. contribute to the mulification of black women, you know, because they know we're not married. We, some of us don't have children. Mm-hmm. And so come on over here, sister, you know, you running the usher board from wow. Sundown. You're gonna be here, you know. Seriously, if you think about it, not all, but I, I do think that there, there is something in it <laughs> for for some leaders, you know, who who have maybe nefarious mm-hmm. intentions with regard to just, you know, stringing this carrot along, like oh, just mm. you know, and putting a little theology on it, um, and and using it in a way that's very dangerous um, and harmful you know, and harmful because then you'd begin to think, is it, am I not faithing enough? Right. Mm. Yes. I said faith. Am I not faithing? <laughs> it's a mm. Am I not content enough? Is it me? Like, you know what I mean? Right. What am I doing? You know? And then it becomes, it, it's you, you lead people into a form of legalism and, and idolatry. And Jesus got some strong words about wow. his children because don't matter how old or young somebody is, that's God's mm. child. Yeah, we're all children in the kingdom. Yeah, mm-hmm. so don't don't pull, mm-hmm. put millstones around the necks of single black women. Stop it. Got to stop that. Mm-hmm. My, my, my. In in respect to this being the longer longest chapter, mm-hmm. just to just to plant ourselves here a moment longer. Um, 
you also write, Akemeni, I categorically reject the idea that our single status is due to some pathological phenomenon within the Black community. Rather, Black women are ensnared by interlocking structures that render them single for far longer than they intend with fewer intra-racial dating options. Now, that, I think, is an analysis that too few people ever recognize, that there might be actual structural factors leading to the singleness of Black women. Can you talk about a little bit of the structural factors that would lead to this? I mean, well, I mean, the most salient one, because there's a few, (laughs) because I do name a few, um, uh, is mass incarceration. I think in that same chapter, I talk Mm. about when I was entering into college and the significant amount of Black men that were being encaged, right, in prisons all over this country at the same time. And it's in college, typically, that people meet their spouse. It's in college that they typically meet their partner. Um, and I had gone to a school in Cal because I could not, um, fun fact, I wanted, I really wanted to go to Howard, but my life circumstances mm. and um, we had a very traumatic event happen in our family where I just could not, um, my father got, got ill and I knew my mom being a single mom, we're growing up, we're in the projects, we're not, I'm, we're not gonna be able to afford it. I just knew that. So I had to make a decision. Like, you know what I mean? I had to grow up and make a decision, um, right. at that time. And, um, a responsible decision to be like, okay, I'm going to stay in Cali, you know? So I had went to um, Cal State Northridge. So I was like, okay, let me find a blackest school. <laughs> <I'm getting laughs> Cali. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what I did. Maybe Cal State LA might have a little bit, a little bit of a higher percentage, you know, of, the, of black people there, but, but that's what I did. So anyway, all that to say, that's where, cause that's my desire as a black man. So the, I think that's an important distinction about this book is that, or at least this chapter, well, this book because Christina's talking about marriage, intra-racial marriage, and I'm talking about intra-racial right. dating because that is my desire is to be um, with a black man if God, you know, God so wills. But um, but yeah, so so mass incarceration. So the same time I'm moving into the dorms, right? My male counterparts are getting, you know, assigned cells. Okay. And so mm. so what do you do? What what do you do? about that. And that's just one factor. That 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 ain't the whole thing, but that that's a significant, absolutely a significant um implication. And we see that impl- that implication in the in the churches, right? That's why you don't see as many black men as you do black women. <laughs> that's why the black church is teaming with black women and not black men. A part of it, right? Um so yeah, so that's definitely one. For sure, of course I talk about colorism and you know and uh, which I explain at length in that chapter too. Um, right. And just the way that sh- shakes out regionally um, in the country, too. Well, I, I would love to keep going for hours, but I I, I, I want to be I want to be respectful to your time. Um, Dr. C, this whole concept of liberation and what liberation has become mm. now and what it's meant in society and what it means to people in culture and what it should mean to the believer. The word is now a word that we use. I remember just a few years ago, we wouldn't use the word liberation because of whatever connotation there would be connected to it. But as you say in the book, there is another way to be liberated in Christ and then liberated towards the culture and in culture. Um, Can you talk about the hope of that liberation for now? 
Because in a time where people are questioning everything about church and faith and life, Mm -hmm. I think the voices we need to be listening to about where the hope comes from are voices of Black women like yourselves. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk about the hope of liberation from a Black Christian woman's perspective and how that word can be a liberative, hopeful word for the church at large. Yeah, you know, I'll do my best. You know, I I, I write about um, what it means to be born again, to become a resistor, that, that the new birth, and, and honestly, depending on what traditions you've been around, you may not hear enough of that language, but I, I do believe we have to be born again. <laughs> Um, that, uh, that, you know, the Lord, um, doesn't, does a new work in us, that we are part of the new, the, the new thing, the new creation. We are part of the newness we, um, and so, uh, and, and then we are, we are born into freedom and this is a freedom over the lies that we have in our head about ourselves. This is a, a freedom mm-hmm. over the lies that society throws at us. This is a, yeah, this is a freedom from lies about who we think God is that don't line up with God's uh, true character. And so that is all liberation. And I think certainly to people who within their their own narrative, they deeply identify with what it means to be um, a descendant of the transatlantic slave trade, this idea of liberation and freedom. We, we get that deeply. We get it deep in our DNA, you know? Uh, so Kimmy talks about colorism in, in the book. And I, and I often share with people what it means to, to have a physical reminder of the transatlantic slave trade and the way you look, mm. what what that you know I didn't write about that in the book, but I certainly could have. Of, and um and and so that that we all of us have a legacy um, from West Africa into the the deep south of the United States and through the Great Migration, we have we carry with us um, this legacy of people striving for freedom. Uh, in a very tangible social sense of the word, but they had always connected that and tied that to the freedom of their souls. Those things were always intertwined for the African. (laughs) Those are not separated in Mm. the African mindset in the way that we think about in this kind of very dichotomous Western way of thinking. Uh, To to be free is to be fully free. To to be liberated is to be completely liberated. And our Mm. freedom then, our freedom then is not just for our own to make ourselves God. Mm-hmm. Our freedom then is to then be handed over to the one who reigns. Yeah. So mm. the, the freedom that we then get through the new birth, because we are new creatures in Christ, we hand that freedom right back over to Jesus. <laughs> um, and, and we get our marching orders. Mind. We get our defining statements. And and uh, and because we live in a world that is so wicked and so corrupt, and as we talked about, all this sin against Black women, the debt is so high yes. that the idea of what it would mean to hand your freedom over sounds like, oh my gosh, like who, like who would do that? But you, but when you know Jesus, <laughs> you know that Jesus is the only one mm-hmm. worthy, worthy of handing all of our liberty over to, mm-hmm. guiding us, directing us, leading us. And if if I'm going to be bound. I'm going to be bound to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, mm. and, and that's where my freedom starts. That's the paradox of the faith. And again, and, and I think not just to pick on the West, just to pick on the West, but there really is a different way of thinking. The, the West struggles um, theologically with the paradoxical components of, of the faith. Absolutely. And Christianity is a deeply paradoxical faith. That doesn't mean contradiction. So, so again, 
Western, <laughs> that they're like, oh, this doesn't line up or throw the Bible away. No, no, no. Holy paradoxes, because his ways are yes. higher than our ways. And one of those is that we are fully free in Christ, free for freedom's sake. And yet we are bound to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We hold those things together. We hold those that we are, yes. we are no longer sinners and yet we wrestle against sin. We hold these things together. Mm-hmm. Um, redemption has started now, yet we are in this world that is ugly and broken. We hold these things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of that to say is that this is a liberation that, and, I, and even in my mind's eye, this, this, this uh, picture, this image of being set free to be able to return to the father's house mm-hmm. and to say, I'm not worthy of the robe. I'm not worthy of the ring. How can I be a servant in your house, O oh Lord? And then we become a co-heir. Mm-hmm. That's the beautiful paradox of liberation and being bound to our Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my, my, my. Jesus. My, my, my. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> Amen. I, as, as we close out here, what, what are your hopes for the book? Does it get some people's hands or people's ears as they buy the audio <laughs> and the physical and the ebook? Um, and but multiple yeah. copies for their church and all that. <laughs> Please do that. Yeah, I'll throw out one, I'll throw out a couple things real quick. And I know Eve's been marinating. Uh, she's got, I know she's got some thoughts on this too. One hope that I have is that um, for Black women that they will begin to muse. So the very last part of the book is a is is blank, and it says it says it's an invitation to write your musings. And so uh, hopefully that gives people a nod to our personalities. We are not the end all be all on these ideas. And really what we're doing is trying to use our voice to get others to stare up their voice. You know, I'm, I'm, I have benefited greatly from exceptional Black women role models who showed me something and then said, now the mic is yours. And that's really what this book literally has in it, a place where it says, the mic is yours, girl. What you got to say? And so uh, we hope that people muse. We hope that Black women muse about life, love, and liberation. And then I think for me, because at, at bottom, I'm an evangelist at heart, is people see Jesus. (laughs) I want people to see Jesus high and lifted up and glorified and beautiful with arms stretched open and say, Hey, you, the one that they ignored, the one that they called names, the ones that they mocked because of your skin color, Mm -hmm. the the one who is often overlooked, the one who feels trapped in a toxic situation or relationship. Hey, you, my arms are open for you. Come, Mm -hmm. come today. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I have a lot of hopes for the for the um, for the book from a business standpoint. My hope is as a New York Times bestseller, pre-order the book, pre-order the book, pre-order the prophesy. <laughs> but from a spiritual standpoint, um, I mean, honestly, my hope is that um, I actually hope that this book would be actually a seminal text used in the book. Like this is the one people grab. Like, oh yeah. This was a seminal text on like forgiveness, and it, 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 uh, there aren't Christina's not weaponizing forgiveness against me. Like, like you know, I want people to be like, oh, this is the book I can grab for to talk about colorism in the church and how does what's the implications with colorism in the cross? Like, how do I, you know, how do I think about that? Like, I really want people to be like, oh, justice and spirituality. How do I put these things together? You know, when you seeing keys, read keys to the kingdom of God by Michelle. You know, I really want. I hope my hope is that this would be the seminal text that that black women reach for and not just black women, but but ch- the church, the church needs uh, mm-hmm. in in uh, uh, the global and the church in America needs to read black women. 
You yes. need to hear the thoughts of Black women. How are Black women holding on to their faith when I know that they're much more marginalized than I am? How are they able to do that? You know, in a faith that I perceive to be oppressive, right? I'm just saying, these are some things that people hey, think. Hey, 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 hey. Like you know what I'm saying, so 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 I so I have a a lot of um, hopes for the dream for the um, for the book, and then of course again like me like Christina, I am also an evangelist at heart, um, and so my hope is that people can see like oh I can be sold out for Christ S O U L E D. Okay, I'm on. I'm oh, take it back. School, take it back. Old school black Christian sold out. I hear the song in my, my head. Mind my, mind my mind is made up. My mind is made up. It's a jam. Oh, <laughs> Unashamed of the gospel, you know. Um, and be out there and be public for Jesus. Don't, 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 don't put a cover on the lampstand. You know what I'm saying? Let your light shine. Let your light shine. And I hope people will get saved. I hope that people um, who, who who never thought about Jesus, who think Christians are, are wild, and we do be tripping, um, <laughs> oh God, yes. oh God, yes. who's giving Christianity a bad name, I pray that they <laughs> pick the book up. Like, you know what I'm saying? You know, the cover is a bait and switch. Okay. So the, the whole, it's not even a bait and switch. The whole, the cover right. is like, that's just the cherry on top. It's the content. I want people to get the content, you know, and read it and be like, oh my gosh, and be saved because they've heard the gospel. Cause you're going to hear the gospel a couple of times you know, <laughs> in that book. And so that's my hope. And people that, that people that have left the church or are leaving to black girls who consider leaving the church when their imago day was not, is not enough. That's the acknowledgement. That's the first page of the book. Yes. I yes. want them to return is my hope to a healthy church, yeah. Uh, yeah. to a place where they can see God high, Christ high and lifted up and mm-hmm. that they can um, embrace the love of the community and feel truly loved for their full selves yeah. as we are being sanctified and being made more like Christ. So that's my, my hope. That's yeah, my the, fam- hope. the family is not the family without them. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, the blood-bought church is not the church. It is not all that it is called to be without um, God's African American daughters. Yes, uh, they they have they have to be there. They must be there, and they and they're not there uh, in the last pew. Although praise be to God to be in the door, mm-hmm. but they are they are there in every area, um, uh, giving praises and bringing rebuke and correction. <laughs> yes. Because, yes, because God disciplines those that He loves, and so anyway. Um, I, I do believe that black women have a particular um, they've been particularly socially fit for the work of holy discipline to the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So not to come there and to take it and to just endure to be, you know, mulified, but to speak that which has long been overdue. And they've been doing this for generation after generation after generation after generation. I believe that that is a unique and beautiful and burdensome calling but that holy discipline from black mama's voice yeah amen amen well the book is truth table black women's musing on life love and liberation the authors are of course akimini yuan dr christina edmondson and michelle higgins sisters thank you for this gift thank you thank Great you gift. thank you for this gift bless you all. thank y'all buy the book asap 10 copies minimum <laughs> agree yes
This episode is brought to you in part by Ministry Pivot with Russell St. Bernard. This podcast features important conversations with industry leaders such as Nona Jones, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin, and so many more. Visit ministrypivot.com or on all streaming platforms.